0: Hey, it's Tracy and I am with super producer Alex. How are you?
1: I'm just fine. Thank you for having me.
0: Good. Well, you know, um, Alex, uh, we got a problem here in the country.
1: Oh, tell me about it. Spies. What kind of spies are we talking about here?
0: We have more spies, more foreign spies in this country than any other country. Did you not?
1: I really didn't know that. Does this have anything to do with the drone that you keep sending over here to look at my window?
0: That is only one incident of spying that you can catch me uh, or possibly relate back to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And for those of you that don't know, after I recognized that it was her drone staring at me through the window, I came up with my own plan. I went over to her house and her office, her desk faces a window and i know this and you know there's the the monitor for the computer directly under that window so it's kind of a high window Mm -hmm. and when you're standing outside that window is like above my head uh so i brought a mini trampoline with me the
0: mini tramp was a little over the edge but and i just
1: jumped up and down until she finally saw me and freaked out (laughs) so i got her back for the drone but anyway so you were telling us about spies that how is it we have have so many spies here um
0: because we're an awesome country duh people want to know what we're doing yeah and um And uh, I interviewed one of them. I interviewed former KGB spy, Cold War era KGB spy, Jack Barsky. He is a huge deal. He was, you've seen him on 60 Minutes. If you watch 60 Minutes, he's been on there. I missed that
1: episode of 60 Minutes.
0: um, Yeah, it's worth looking up. And he is going to tell us all about the back channels of communication to send code about intelligence, a surveillance mission, cash drops, like the whole thing. This guy is like the real deal. And I got him.
1: And does he does he come complete with a Russian accent?
0: Uh, it's kind of uh, he's actually a German. He's a German guy. And yeah. the KGB would uh, recruit all over East Germany. And he was a professor and um, oh that
1: makes sense okay so so communist era germany mm-hmm. right
0: yeah yeah communist era like uh uh-huh. with the wall and the whole bit and so anyway he's going to tell us everything about what he did and he is just wow talk about a fascinating life uh jack barsky he he has it
1: that one sounds great yeah i can't wait to hear yeah. that one yeah. so uh, how did you how did you uh, detect that he was a spy and how were you able to capture him and then convince him to talk in your interrogation?
0: Well, fortunately, he was already out in the open. So um, I you just, just tackled him right there. No, uh, like, like he he like revealed himself. And I just literally I sent him an email.
1: OK, so <laughs> I've got a fundamental problem with this. When you have a spy who's advertising and revealing to the world that he's a spy, well, he does used that- to
0: be a spy. He wouldn't do that when he was actually a spy. OK, and, I hope and he's going to tell us how he defected out of the KGB, because that's not the kind of thing where they just let you go
1: to America.
0: Well, no, he, he was in America, but they, mm. they wanted him back. And he was like, nope.
1: Well, this one sounds fascinating, but you know what's even more interesting? And mm. it went right by you. What? um uh, and clearly we need to put it on a mini trampoline outside your window but uh so there was a movie reference I gave you a line which was what? a movie reference and it went right by you and which I imagine way? it went by most people but it was what? earlier on in this and I said uh, what did I say so I must uh, I must have missed that episode of 60 Minutes what are you saying uh,
0: is that is that a line from a movie
1: yeah it is a line from a movie
0: what what movie
1: It's a movie that you see every Christmas. It is a wonderful Christmas movie. Uh, I must have missed that episode of 60 minutes. What do you say?
0: I don't know what movie?
1: Well, we'll just leave it at that. And if somebody wants to chime in and let us know, we do have an email address here, you can reach out to us at it is body language, Tracy, that's Tracy with an I at gmail you can reach out to us here and tell us anything you want Uh, give us a hard time give us some kudos uh, tell us where we can go and find a cup of coffee uh, that you left for us somewhere on the street who knows (laughs) but at that email address you can reach out to us and and say whatever you want but what I'd love to hear from you guys is who recognizes that line from a famous Christmas movie Uh, and I'll, I'll give it to you one more time I must have missed that episode of 60 Minutes what are you saying
0: and if anyone gets that, I'll give them, I'll send them a copy of my book, How to Detect Wise Fraud and Identity Theft. How about that?
1: We can do that. And we'll even give them a shout out here.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, that'll
1: be fun. Sure. So All that's right. body language Tracy with an I, Tracy with an I at gmail.com. That's how you get All us.
0: Right. We can yeah. do it. All right. Cool. All right. Uh, I, th- uh, I think I think we should get to the interview.
1: Okay. But can we get to some coffee?
0: <gasps> oh, right. Oh, yeah. Coffee. We like it.
1: We do. We And we need it too.
0: Yeah. And it helps us support the show when you buy us a cup. It really does. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just a little donation. If you want to donate, the link is in the comments or the show notes. And you can just, you know, you can buy us one cup or five because, you know, we need coffee. And we do. Uh, and you know who bought us some coffee, Alex? Um, who? Beth did Beth in Nashville, bought us some coffee.
1: Nashville, Beth, we love you. Thank you so much. We love
0: Nashville, (laughs) Beth.
1: And with that, we got to talk to some spies. Let's do it. Let's go listen to Jack Barsky.
0: All right, we're out. It's Tracy. I am back again with another super cool interview. I have Jack Barsky with me, and you may have seen him on 60 Minutes. He is the real deal, former kgb spy living in america and so i just have so many questions but first welcome jack thanks for joining me
2: yeah well nice meeting you uh for the first time i can see your face uh uh obviously we we met via email
0: absolutely and so um i was just thrilled that you emailed me back i was like there's no way i'm gonna hear from this guy and then um and then here we are so where are you right now
2: uh, in a suburb of Atlanta called Covington, um, and it's uh, right now, today's going to be 55 degrees. If you're anywhere in the northeast or, or really cold, you should be envious, but I don't think you are.
0: No, I'm in Colorado, and it is going to be cold tomorrow, so uh-huh. um, I've gotten to where I don't like uh, driving around in in more than several inches of snow, so I'm going to be home tomorrow. <laughs> and cuz uh i'm you know working at home like a lot of other people right now so okay i have a lot of questions and and you've been on 60 minutes your history is uh is pretty well out there um yeah. so let's let's touch on it though for people who who don't know you you're german right
2: i am uh, i was born raised and educated in german the first 26 years in germany living as a german then i spent 2 years in moscow russia and ever since then, I've lived in the United States
0: now. Okay. So you get, how, how does one get recruited into the KGB? Cause okay. So here's my question is that I thought the KGB was just Russian.
2: So oh, yes, they were, uh, but he, for certain tasks, they, they couldn't use Russians, particularly when they sent undercover agents into other countries where language was, uh, was, uh, a concern Russians have the hardest time to get rid of their russian accent okay so, uh, they would re- they would recruit maybe in the baltic republics and as in my case in germany i have a good friend who did the same thing as i did oh. he was he's also born and raised in germany so so that's why uh they reached out to, into other nationalities
0: wow okay cuz you were a professor is that true or
2: um... yeah uh <laughs> i was I was one year into my career as a, a professor, initially was obviously an assistant professor. I had just graduated with a master's degree. I was going for my doctorate, and I was on my way to become a tenured professor because I was by far the best student in my class, and I was one of a hundred uh, recipients of a national scholarship, oh. uh, when I say a hundred. It was limited to 100 concurrent users in the entire country. So I would have made it for sure.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. So then how did they find you? Like, why did they, I mean, were they looking <laughs> at everybody? I mean, how does this go?
2: Well... <laughs> They didn't tell me how they found me. That was a secret. You know, I, I was given only as much information as they thought I needed to do my job. Uh, um, I can speculate to some degree. Uh, the the KGB clearly had uh, the ability to uh, go through files, and and the East German the Stasi had a file on everybody. Yeah. And uh, based on um, testimony given by ex generals of the the first Directorate which was the spy Department for the KGB they were literally looking at several thousand candidates to eventually bring this down to 10 that they sent to the United States in the late 70s or early 80s
0: now okay so I have again a lot of questions so they only wanted to send 10 because it seems like there's more than that of foreign no. spies in the country like oh what's yes there are that? and.
2: and mo- Okay, so we got, we got the ones with diplomatic cover. Uh, in those days, when, uh, during the Soviet, uh, Soviet era, the, the majority of the uh, diplomats that worked at the United Nations or at the Soviet embassy in Washington, D.C., were actually KGB. So that's the first category. They are rather limited as to what they can do because they're pretty much known by counterintelligence. Another group... They are not protected by diplomatic uh, immunity. They operate under their own name and their own profession, Mm -hmm. such as journalists, uh, listening scientists and, and so forth. And then there are the illegals. We become part of the country that we are being sent to. We have total freedom to go anywhere, do anything, and nobody would ever know. And to find somebody who was able to do this and then train them is extremely expensive, difficult, time consuming. My training was mostly one on was one on one. And it lasted five years.
0: Well, OK, <laughs> OK, <laughs> oh, my God, OK, so <clears throat> let's let's talk about that. They, do they let's go back because I've gotten ahead of my. Did They just knock on your door and say, all right, yes, they did. you're coming. Yes, they did. <clears throat> yes. So it's like you have no choice.
2: No 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 they knocked on and uh, you know we established a in an informal relationship i had a choice to say no at any point in time and they weren't really sure that they wanted me uh the informal relationship was meant for the uh, handler that i had contact with to figure out whether i was the kind of person that they could send uh, and i uh, and i had to, a good oper- a good possibility to be successful and uh it was a lengthy feeling each other out, uh, both ways. You know, I had to voluntarily agree to do this uh, and they ha- had to know that I was the right guy. So that's why it, you know, the the, the, the moment from when the KGB uh, got in contact with me until I was wound up in the United States, that took six and a half years.
0: Oh wow. Okay, so how long did it take you to say yeah, like officially yes?
2: How long? I, <laughs> when they asked the question, I had a they gave me uh 24 hours to give, come up with an answer. Oh. Yes or no and it was there was nothing in between.
0: And so that was after how long?
2: A year and a half. Okay.
0: okay. And you said yes. yes
2: not right away i <laughs> i had a sleepless night i said N- yes the next day
0: okay okay so what was the i mean were they paying you a lot of money or was no, it the, no? no how much were they No. Paying
2: i you? got when when i first uh, uh became and i was never an employee of the kgb by the way they oh. did not treat foreign nationals as employees you know you can you can call me independent contractor they didn't call me anything uh-huh. uh, so uh The pay that I received when I uh, first started was just a little bit more than what I got as an assistant professor at the university. Uh It wasn't about the money.
0: Oh, so then what was the allure?
2: Well, there's two things, uh, maybe a couple more of them. But, but, you know, I was, uh, it's hard to believe nowadays, but I was a flaming communist. I believed in Marx, Engels. Lenin, uh, I knew that this was sci- it was scientifically proven that the world eventually will become one uh, wonderful big communist family with uh, everybody being happy. You know it's kind of stupid, but when when you're young, you know you fall you fall for these romantic ideas. We have this happening in, in the Western world uh, today uh-huh. uh, and uh, so i I wanted to you know do my part to help masses that were all over the world and, uh, you know, to uh, build, you know, the, the communist nirvana on this planet. Huh. So that was, that was the foundation. Without that foundation, I would not have uh, agreed to do that. But then there was this personal thing, you know, there's a, a famous quote by, uh, Every time I think of the guy, but it doesn't matter. It's a, the most famous British spy who worked for the KGB, oh. and he was asked, "So why did you join?" He said, "Well, if, if a, an organization as as big and powerful as the KGB asks you, you have that you just gotta join. You know, you feel flattered, and uh-huh. I did, obviously.
0: Yeah,
2: and uh, and you know, and I was always an adventurous type. I always wanted to, I always wanted to do new things and explore the world." So, and as you probably know, I lived in East Germany. The Western borders were closed. Uh, so I, I wanted to go see France. I wanted to go see Brazil, the United States. I wanted to travel and and do stuff. So I was really full of myself in one respect. But, uh, uh, <laughs> so you put it all together, uh, it clicked. And it was, the decision was 50-50. And, when, and then it became 51 to 49. So it wasn't really that clear cut because my, I really loved where where I worked, where I lived, and I knew I had a great career. And I was always dreaming of becoming a tenured professor. But that adventure eventually tipped the needle.
0: Wow. Okay. So then, what where what happens next? Did you go to Moscow? You said you had one-on-one training. No, no,
2: no. I, 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 the training was in Berlin. Okay. Uh, I moved to Berlin, uh, and uh, I I had a new handler in Berlin who trained me on some of the things, some of the basics, and then I. Uh, had a lot of interaction with te- technical people who uh, trained me in what we call trade craft, which is something like Morse code, uh, decryption, encryption of material, secret writing, counter surveillance, photography, making micro dots, and on and on. So ev- all the tools of the trade that I needed to operate in quote unquote enemy territory. Okay, so, and, let's,
0: so let's, 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 one, let's, oh, go ahead.
2: Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I also, um had to learn a language and that's eventually what got me to the United States I was required to learn a foreign language and I they allowed me to pick one I picked English so and I I, I threw myself into that task with uh, phenomenal energy and within one year I was completely fluent passively wow uh, so they decided I might be the right candidate to actually impersonate an American.
0: Huh. Okay. So let let's get back to some of this secret code stuff. Like, what? I always thought my mom had a secret code growing up because she was a secretary for a while and she knew shorthand, and she would write all these notes about what you know needed to happen at the house and these swiggles. And is yeah. it like that or what's? No, the- no,
2: it's not. Uh, <clears throat> most most uh, codes uh, are are based on mathematical algorithms. Oh. Um, the the messages that we uh, moved back and forth were all digits, one through zero. and um, those digits uh, were manipulated a, a couple of times uh, and at the end you got to a number of digits that actually had a relationship one-on-one relationship with letters. And that one that one was easy to if you had only that, that um, would be very easy to decipher, but this was then, manipulated with another set of digits to, to come up with something that you could not decrypt, uh, at least not, uh, for the first three, 400 uses.
0: So did you have like a secret decoder ring or how, did, how no, did no, no, that no, no. work? I,
2: I had to, I had to do this manually. You know, you sit down uh-huh. and, on a piece of paper and you do, and you write down the numbers and then you do this manipulation. And it took quite a while. It was very, very time consuming. Wow. There, no, no, I took. I took not as, let me say that I took only one item with me that if discovered would have uh, 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 pointed out, proven that I was a, a secret agent and that was contact paper for secret writing. There were no other tools that I had. Uh, and the contact paper, you had to really, it looked like a regular piece of paper. You had to look, know that you actually look for something, some, uh, some chemical, a trace of chemical in that piece of paper. So that it, you illegals weren't were not supposed to have any on them that, uh, if caught, would prove that uh, they were up to no good, right?
0: Uh-huh. Now, what does contact paper do? I, 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 I
2: Well, you know. I, guess I don't know what that is. You, you may not be old enough in the old days when you, uh, when you had this blue paper and you wanted, wanted to make copies of something. Oh yeah. In a co- copy machine. Uh-huh. Well, this is not blue. It's white. It looks like a regu- regular paper uh-huh. i don't know and there could have been a, a, they used uh a, a, that when when you use this contact paper and write on it and underneath you have a regular letter uh with an open text that some a little bit of that chemical was transmitted uh, transferred to uh the regular piece of paper and, and that was then developed through some magical chemical process huh.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. I just learned something. So, so, um now, did you ever end up in Moscow, like for your training or how? Yes, how did, years. Okay. So the, you're three years. three
2: years. No, I'm uh, two years in Moscow. Reason they moved me to Moscow because uh, in Moscow, they had three individuals who were born Americans and who were trusted by the KGB. They were KGB uh, folks, either uh-huh. retired or employed. Uh-huh. And I, I worked for two years with a tutor, uh, to work on my, on my, uh, diction, my, my pronouncing okay. of, of the American English. And I stud and I, every night I did phonetic exercises, like, uh, without fail, half hour, listen to a tape, repeat, listen, it Got to a point where I had gotten rid, rid of my accent to a point where in New York, there was an explanation for why it was there, and in, in New York, people wouldn't re- really ask. And I was pointed to New York. In New York, you you know, there's a lot of accents floating around. Oh yeah.
0: So so then, uh, three three years of getting your English right, and I guess more spy techniques. Is that fair? Oh no,
2: in Moscow, the only other thing that that I was really uh, uh, trained very well was uh, uh, counter surveillance.
0: Let's talk about well, that.
2: Counter-surveillance is, and this is still being used today. Uh, uh, what, what you do, you you get out and you wander around the city for about three hours, take public transportation, go to a department store, you know, do a lot of things that sort of look natural, but in the process, you, uh, you, you find spots where if somebody's following you, and that usually is a team, Mm-hmm. Of anywhere between six and ten people uh if they want to know what you're doing at least one of them has to be close enough so you can see the face and once you see one face for the second time you know they're being followed that training was excellent i i worked with the very best
0: wow okay so so how do they train you on that like what's the
2: no this is like you you train by doing okay that's it so okay. i had a i had a guy the the, the boss of that uh uh, that team, who was who was a wizard. I mean, he did things with misdirection. Where where I was following him, and he he told me after ten minutes, uh, "Did you see something?" I said, "No," and then he told me what he did. <laughs> but 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 that was not what I was being taught. I, no. I'm just telling you how good he was. Uh-huh. And so you know, he would he would initially walk around with me in the city and show me some spots <clears throat> and I'd give you. Uh, one that uh, was my favorite. Okay. Um, so I would walk down this, uh, the road on a sidewalk mm-hmm. uh, in an area where there weren't too many people. And at the bottom of that, uh, after a turn, there was a telephone booth. And I get in the booth and, and pick up the phone, and, and I'm able to look back. It was natural. Right. right? You're not supposed to do this. That, that was a no-no. Oh. You weren't even supposed to walk. Towards a display window at a department store to see who following you. That oh, was, that was a known trick. So no, it had to be really, really natural.
0: Uh huh. Oh wow. Now, um, side question: Have have um have you been to the spy museum in Washington D.C.?
2: Yes, um, I. I don't know if if I still am but I used to be an exhibit there uh, Oh. In the corner in a the corner there's a uh, there's a TV uh, screen and they shows an interview with me I have a picture of me looking at at that interview <laughs>
0: <laughs> Now what do you think of all those little gadgets cuz it seems very um yeah. like read right out of a get smart in, the, in those kind like is that No no they're
2: real. Yeah. They're real. There's also there used to be a KGB museum in uh in in New York uh and that had some real uh, uh tools of the trade not to be used as i said by people like me these these were you know depending depending on the circumstances uh these these tools were very very uh useful mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's interesting except you know my hands never touched one nothing you know the the only tools i used were able uh, you could buy in a in a store, like for instance, the shortwave radio I used to um, receive the messages from from Moscow. That was a high sensitivity shortwave radio you can buy in a store. Uh-huh. Uh And on and on. So everything I used, with the except the exception of their contact paper, was uh, uh, was commercially available.
0: Wow. Okay. So so you ended up in the states. Like, how did that go? They, was, oh, they just we you were in New York. It sounds like
2: no. <laughs> it was a tough start. <laughs> it was a really tough start because all I had, so <clears throat> my, my birth name is Albrecht Dietrich. Obviously, you, I was supposed to um, um, impersonate an American, so uh, the KGB was able to procure a bona fide certified copy of the birth certificate of Jack Barsky. Uh-huh. Jack Barsky was uh, a, a child who passed away at the age of 11 Mm. and they found that information on a graveyard. This was, uh, uh, this is how the KGB used to, you know, manufacture IDs. They looked for deceased individuals. And in the old days, uh, you could, anybody could get a birth certificate for anybody. There was there was no double check at all. The United States was wide open and fundamentally not really security conscious. Even today, we're not enough, uh, not enough security conscious. So anyway, uh, so that's what I had. I had this birth certificate and now I had to get the documentation that would allow me to operate in the US, live and work. That took me a year uh, because the plan that the KGB had given me didn't work. Uh,
0: Because what was the plan?
2: The plan was well, the plan, the idea was was correct, but the way to go about it they didn't know. <clears throat> um, so you could parlay. You, the first thing is you, you get yourself a library card.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And the idea was a library card you can just get without showing any any ID. Uh, and then you get your driver's license to get a driver's license. You need proof of where you live. Mm-hmm. And a library card was acceptable and, uh, and, and a birth certificate. So the problem was when I went to the library and says, I, you know I want to get a library card. They asked me for ID. Ooh, you know where the catch twenty two is?
0: <laughs> you didn't have any ID.
2: That that was one, <clears throat> and and you know they had they had no idea what to tell me. You know I just told them I'm I'm not getting where I'm supposed to get. Well, they just encouraged me to figure something out. <laughs> and accidentally one day I, I was at the Museum of Natural History and I saw that they were selling memberships and the membership cards were made out of plastic and they looked like ID. Uh-huh. So I, I bought a membership and with that I could get a library card. Now, now it got really easy other than learning how to parallel park in, in New York. you know. The <laughs>
0: <park>. <laughs> I can't parallel park very well either. <laughs> the,
2: the the driver's license was no problem. Uh eh. The biggest challenge was the Social Security card because, uh, first of all, you could get one as an adult.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, in those days, uh, Social Security numbers were not issues, uh, issued at, at birth. And uh, certain parts of the working population were exempt from Social Security. Farm workers and uh, people who worked for churches and, and uh, religious organizations. Huh. <coughs> but <clears throat> The but was you, you had to, if as an if you wanted social security as an adult, you had to go in for an interview. And uh, I really practiced very hard. And I, my, my my, my backstory was that I had spent many years on a farm in upstate New York, and I had just returned to New York City, where I was born and raised, to you know give it another try, give the city another try, and um, so. I had to dumb myself down. I had to look like somebody who isn't very smart and who doesn't talk a lot and who's just monosyllabic. So, you know, I rubbed soap into my eyes to make them look red. I didn't shave for a couple of days. My my hair wasn't combed. So I just gave the impression of, you know, I impersonated that person who had just jumped off a potato truck. Mm -hmm. And it worked. The interview went very, very short. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but, and and I, I tell you what i i practiced for days and days where i would go out in, in a park where there was nobody there and spoke out loud what i would answer uh, given what question was going to be asked so you you know about lying you know the most important thing about lying is that uh, uh you can you can handle the follow up questions and the ones after that yeah the, uh, yeah you that's have to the be key very consistent. so so i I anticipated all kinds of double checks and so forth wasn't necessary but you know that way you could, you could go into the interview without your heart jumping out of your chest
0: well let's let's talk about this because by the time you get into this interview you're a year into the u.s and you've been doing uh impersonations for a, a year like, no, no, no 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 i wasn't doing
2: anything <laughs> no you were just being was, you uh, I was, uh, I lived in a single room occupancy hotel because, uh, with, without a source of income, uh, it w- was not advisable to even uh, go for an apartment. Yeah. Um, there you could pay cash. And, uh, I did not have social interaction with anybody because that was not advisable. What I did is every morning uh, on Monday through Friday, I would leave the hotel at about eight and then come back after five to give the impression, that I was doing something, that I was working. You know, Otherwise, where, where does the money come from? Right. You know, There would be suspicion. It could be a drug dealer or some kind of criminal or, God forbid, a spy. Uh, so for one year, I absolutely did nothing and had no interaction in my first job after I got my social security card. Uh, that took me a while to figure out, too. Eventually, I found something uh, that was ideal, and I became a bike messenger in Manhattan. <laughs>
0: That is, that is dicey business, being a bike messenger
2: there. Oh, yeah. Okay. I had, I had one accident, and, and I had one near-fatal crash, but I was really lucky. Uh, but, you know, growing up in, in, in Germany in the old days, we were all on bicycle every day. Mm-hmm. So uh, I didn't have to learn that. The reason that this was ideal, number one, uh, in the, the, the messenger uh, people were mostly transients. Yeah. And nobody asked you about any background. You know, you just, most of us worked there for a while and then they went on to something else. And um, and I could uh, uh, and it paid pretty well because I was on commission It mm-hmm. paid enough. It wasn't it wasn't minimum wage. It, it paid enough <laughs> for me to be able to live on my own without the KGB sending me any more money.
0: Now, let's <clears throat> let's back up to that. How do they get you money? Do they just
2: send, send you cash? Uh, <clears throat> I got money twice in the United States, and this was uh, no. Of course, yes, it was cash for sure. But th- there were no meetings where somebody handed me over a package with money in it. Uh, the money uh, was t- twice was uh, hidden in a crushed oil can that was deposited in some place where uh, I knew where it was and. And it was a timed operation. It's called a dead drop operation. Still in use today uh, over all over the world.
0: Now, did you get the message of where to get it from your shortwave radio and all the secret codes and everything?
2: Yes. Yes.
0: Oh, damn. That's cool. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds, it's just so like right out of a movie. Okay, so so you got your money uh, from that way a couple times, and now could you send them messages back as well?
2: Yeah, well, in secret writing, and and that was somewhat limited, was severely limited. Actually, uh, I was uh, uh, told to uh, these letters could not ha- have more than two sheets of paper. Now, how much information can you transmit in two pieces of paper? And I was allowed to uh, mail two letters a month I had occasion uh, occasionally I I had too much information so what I did is I I hand wrote it on paper and then photographed it and put the uh undeveloped cartridge uh, into a container I actually put the cartridge into a plastic bag to protect it and then made a rock out of plaster of Paris around this and then made the rock, rock really dirty and that one I dropped someplace where the a local KGB agent, one of those diplomats, picked it up. That's the dead drop operation in reverse.
0: Oh, wow. Plaster, yep. of, that's crafty.
2: Yeah, I came up with that myself. And it, uh, it, it, nobody, but nobody would even think of picking up the a rock, not even right. animals, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Unless it rained and then it might melt, that plaster. Doesn't it melt? No. No? No.
2: Nope.
0: Huh okay
2: remember well, I, I had a degree in chemistry so i knew oh, right. I knew, <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is why i'm not a spy because i don't know about plaster of paris <laughs> okay um, so um now what kind of information were you sending them
2: well see this 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 question uh, always the answer will uh disappoint people but it is what it is i wasn't even told but the most important uh, thing about me being in the United States for them was me being in the United States living as an American. Me and however many others survived of the ten, and I tell you why. Um, in, in, the, in the 80s, there were several situations where the diplomatic relations uh, got, got really dicey. Yeah. Diplomats got kicked out of the country both mm-hmm. ways. And God forbid, it, in case of war or in case the diplomatic relations were uh, uh, cut, the only ones in enemy territory were us illegals. Right? Yeah. So that was important to them to the extent that was realistic. I don't know, right? but uh, the, the the Soviet Union and even today Russia uh, has this romantic notion about illegals. I mean, they are adored, admired, and I think uh, Russia is the only country who still sends out illegals and they celebrate the illegals. <laughs> so huh. anyway, so that was number one. I didn't know that, uh, but I succeeded in this. Uh, I worked as a spotter. Uh, my task was to get to know people primarily, but particularly what when, when I was I stu- studied again and I was in, in college, um, you know, Befriend students, uh, sort of um, profile them, send the profile to Moscow, and they would decide whether they these were people that they may, might want to recruit one day. And the same thing while I was then working uh, at uh, for the most that was all the time it was at MetLife uh, as a professional. So that, that was a task that uh, they that was ongoing. I periodically sent uh, reports on how the Americans reacted to uh, um, important events in the world, such as the one thing that just comes to mind. Remember when the Soviet Union shot down the Korean airliner?
0: I did, vaguely, yeah. What yeah, year was that? It was, that? was, it uh, that was
2: in, in 1983. Yeah. And uh, uh, that killed uh, over 200 uh, passengers. It was a civilian airliner. and uh, And this was at a time when detente, uh, was a big word, you know, and I, I sent back to them, you guys, you just messed it up big time because the Americans are mad as hell. All of them. Uh (laughs) So that, that was uh, that. And, uh, I, I did a couple of uh, special, I had a couple of special assignments that required to, uh, travel in the country outside of the 50 mile radius around uh, DC and New York. Uh, that the, the known uh, KGB agents, the diplomats, diplomats could not uh, leave without permission. Huh. Uh, one of them was for me to locate uh, an ex-agent. I did not know. They just gave me a name. It says, let's see if this fellow uh, 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 live still teaching at uh, the University of California uh, and uh, uh, that he's, he lives there in uh, San Bernardino. And, and I found him, and I reported back. And uh, much later, I found out that he was a defector who was under death sentence oh. in oh. the Soviet Union. Now, uh, I, I was relieved to find out that they did not choose to do something about it. Uh, there was probably discussion, should we, should we, should we not? And then he said, to heck with it, you know, it's, it, it's too dangerous or whatever. But, uh, you know, this fellow died from natural causes. Wow. Very famous guy. He was uh, he was actually an assassin. He was a KGB assassin. And the last assignment he had, he said, I'm not going to do this anymore. He, and he defected in West Germany.
0: Wow. And he was working at a, at a college in California.
2: Yeah, yeah. He, you know... Not surprisingly, he was a smart guy, Nikolai Kokloff, that's his name.
0: Wow. Okay. So then what else did you do? Like, like, cause 'cause you ended up at MetLife, like being a computer programmer.
2: Yeah. So see, that's the problem was once, once I had a real job, um, and that was quite demanding, you know, you you start out in information technology. In those days, um, um, the communication vehicles weren't as well developed. So you were on call. There was processing going on at night and you were on call. And and if something went wrong, you had to get up and go to the office. So so I didn't have nine to five, uh, five days a week.
0: Uh
2: I had nine to, let's say, eight to six Uh and uh, on call and possibly sometimes working on weekends. So my ability to mingle with people outside of that work uh, environment was severely limited. You know, and they wanted me me to get to know, like, important people in the realm of foreign policy. I just, A, I didn't have the time, and B, I didn't have the standing in society to be successful. That was a dream that they had that that was impossible to execute on. Now, Uh over time, as I, you know, went up the corporate ladder and became a CIO, and uh, I made money and blah, 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 I got to a point where I could have been very useful, but I was long... I had long, uh, severed uh, relations with the uh, KGB at that point.
0: Wow. Okay, so I saw on, on 60 Minutes, because y'all had some, like, uh, I guess, codes about when they wanted you back in Russia and things like that. Like, can you talk about that? No, there that?
2: was this – okay, so we had, a, we had a signal system. This was, was the, the very basics of communication uh-huh. uh, where, you know, there would be a handful of signals that <clears throat> could be placed on a, on a spot – where the one who is supposed to read the signal passes by every day. OK, so, for instance, <clears throat> I I had to send signals when they asked me to confirm the receipt of a particular radiogram. I had to send a signal that said arrived in the country, in all countries where, where, where I was. Uh-huh. So <clears throat> and um, I just remember really only one signal that uh, was uh, to be set on my path. And uh, that was on my way to, to the train station. And it was this red dot at about the size of, of a fist. A red dot meant uh-huh. danger. Uh, you, you just, you just got to get out of there, uh, run, don't look back. Uh, this is the highest emergency. Uh-huh. And so when I saw that, I swallowed really hard and then I said the S word and uh, then I ignored it.
0: Okay, let's talk about that. So, so where, for one, where was the red dot, and how did you know it was your red dot and not just like graffiti or something like that?
2: Well, it was on a on, on a, a, a su- support post for the elevated. It's a steel beam, the uh-huh. elevated uh, portion of the A train, and uh, <clears throat> graffiti on. Uh, and um, it was <clears throat> it was pretty clear to me that this was put there by a KGB agent.
0: Huh. Okay. So then, so you ignored it and you're like, forget it.
2: Yeah. I ignored it because, uh, I had, I had a problem, you know, the problem was the cutest little girl, my daughter, 18 months old. And, uh, I had, I knew I would have to eventually go back and I knew I would have to leave this child, but I at least wanted to take care of her financially and I hadn't figured out a way, to do that <clears throat> without admitting to the kgb that i was secretly married in the united states oh
0: cuz they probably <laughs> didn't like that one bit
2: <laughs> no this this would have been severe a severe case of insubordination so i, I hadn't figured this one out yet <clears throat> so i i just uh, at, that, at that point i i just couldn't leave i i wanted to i wanted to have more time and and now did I your was, wife know no at that time she didn't Okay. <clears throat> because I was so well trained in counterintelligence, I doubted that they actually uh, were correct. So it wasn't like 100%. That I, I got scared out of my wi- mind. I I wanted to double check on that. So I went to, went to work. Now, I was just that day I was sitting in front of the computer screen and doing nothing I, because you know there were the, all these thoughts racing yeah. around in my head. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, what what was the question? Oh, you talked about the sign, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the sign, and, and you didn't leave, and you told like how did you? Because t- you told the Russians something that's that scared them, off, they, scared them off, and
2: they yeah. Not left eventually, you alone, when they? when when they uh, then uh, communicated to me via short wave radio uh, on three days later, and th- that was a longer message, but not really specific. They says again, they just said. And, you know, uh, that uh, I should uh, start the emergency procedure because there's there's reason to believe that the FBI is on my case. Uh, and, again, at that point, I already had done some counter-surveillance me- measures and I saw no hint of it. Oh. It doesn't matter, but they, that was a good... You never know. You know, you can't prove a negative
1: when well... you don't see
2: something that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? Um, so... um and then, at one point, I was even approached by a, uh, a Soviet agent. Uh, sort of, it was still all, all dark in the morning. I was waiting on, for the subway, and he came up to me, and he whispered, you got to
0: come home, or else you're dead. Wait, I, someone whispered that to you in the subway? He,
2: he did that, not and, in the subway, he, on, did, on, the, on the platform we did were you, waiting did
0: you, on. Had you seen this guy before?
2: No, 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 no,
0: no. So he was following you?
2: Well, yeah, he. he they knew they knew what I looked like. They, they knew, uh, how I, the the path I was would take to go to work. So they, I had to tell them that. So they were just like, they didn't know what the heck was going on. You know, I could have, I could have been in a hospital. Right. Uh I could have, uh, I could have been, I don't know. I could have been dead or or my radio was uh, broken, whatever. So this guy, most likely, checked that I was still going to work, and then they decided to tell him, to tell me, that you know, got to come home or else you're dead. Whether that was a threat or not is anybody's guess. But uh, you had to had to take it somewhat seriously.
0: Now, okay, so so back up just just a little bit. You have this shortwave radio, and it's, it sounds like it's pretty time consuming to get these messages. And yeah. <clears throat> what are you telling your wife you're doing? <laughs> like, how does uh, well, all that work, Jack? <laughs> so, yeah,
2: well, uh, I chose an apartment when we moved in together that uh, 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 there were three rooms were on one side and then there was a walkway uh, sort of a corridor and there was one little room at the other end. Uh-huh. And I would tell her that uh, when I listened to shortwave radio or um I constructed the the uh, the secret writing that I'm I'm locking myself in. I cannot be disturbed. I'm doing some really really tough work for something on on my on my PC for something that one day well, could could make us a lot of money. And she honored that. Wow.
0: Okay. okay. So you're lying to your wife. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it boils down to.
2: Well, I was a walking lie. You know that.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It, it, so, is it talking about a working life? Is it just to the point where you're just—it's just the way you are, like like dual personalities, and you know how to switch between them? Yes. So, so she's practice. I didn't
2: know it, it. It became automatic because I, I, uh, as you may know, I was married in Germany as well. Yeah. So uh, it, it's really interesting. Uh, the the American had developed some habits that the German never had. And when I went back to Germany, I, after a couple of days, I, I was again, the, the, the German character, uh, and, it's, uh, it's, it, it, that, that, switch was automatic. And, and I can prove to myself that I actually had an artificial, uh, artificially developed dual personality because I'm, I'm fluent in German and I'm fluent in English but I can't translate very well. The, the, oh. the, neuron, the, the neuron connection between the German and the English is very tenuous. It, it, they're far apart.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Okay, so that's, you know, I forced myself into compartmentalizing. Here's the German, there, there, uh, there's the English. So um, I had two families in two countries. Uh, I loved my German wife. I didn't as much love my my American wife. Um, she became an accidental marriage, but it's because she uh, uh, we dated and then she told me that she was illegal in the country and so I married her to make her legal to do her a favor and then oh. she got pregnant and so w- what what I loved in the u s really loved was my daughter so uh, and you know it's the, the moment when I came back from Germany and I stepped on u s soil. Back Barsky again, and uh, forgot everything about uh, what what was behind there.
0: Wow! Yeah. So, so you told the the Russians you had AIDS, didn't you? Yes, I to did. Scare them yeah. off.
2: So, see, and now at that point, when when this fellow uh, spoke to me, this one sentence, uh, the the communication was confirmed. So they knew that I knew, that they knew. Uh, so I had to come up with something that would. Uh, uh, would make me get away without severe consequences and also without consequences to my family in germany so the uh, the the last communication they got from me was that uh, you know i i would love to come but i can't and i shouldn't because i have hiv aids
0: uh-huh and so like that oh so then um <laughs> They were just like, okay, but like, how, how do you, how do you like cut the money quits coming? That you turn the shortwave radio off. Like, what happens really when you? What
2: happened? And you know, I, uh, I focused on um, my life in the United States because uh, I, I did not want uh, to uh, knock on the door of the FBI and and tell them who uh, because I didn't want to be turned. Uh, I I was afraid of uh, possibly getting arrested, I just disappeared. You know, I I, I cut my ties and uh, focused on my career and it, it went really well. At, at the time, I was already making good money. Within, within a year and a half of my uh, quitting the KGB, we bought a house in the suburbs. So now, and buying a house, As as American as it gets, right?
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because when I was watching your 60 Minutes uh, clip that you sent me, I remember, I I didn't remember any of the story, but I remembered looking at, I remembered the shot of that house because I must have seen it years ago when it broadcasts. And I was like, that doesn't look like anywhere a spy would live. (laughs) I remember thinking that because it was like a nice looking regular suburb house.
2: Yeah, you know, there's a saying, spies are people too.
0: Yeah, I guess so. I guess, I mean, why wouldn't you want a nice house, though? So then, okay, so how, how does this thing unfold? Like, how did you get to, like, where me and you are talking now? Because yeah, you're putting yourself out there publicly.
2: It's, it's a phenomenal uh, uh, number of dots that had to be connected that that were pretty much far apart from one another. The fact that you and I are talking is, the probability of that is is is. Sign- it's just a tad over zero. Yeah. Okay. First of all, <clears throat> for me to be contacted with the FBI, there had to be a Russian defector, uh, who smuggled a whole bunch of information out of, uh, the, the KGB archives. And amongst that information was my name, uh, not a whole lot more than my name. And that I was in, living undercover in the Northeast. So I'm very grateful to this fellow. He doesn't live anymore, but uh, he 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 started the ball rolling. Then the FBI <clears throat> uh, took about three years to watch me and to determine as to whether I was still active. And b- b- they didn't want to. They knew that I was really, really well trained because I had survived for so many years. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and And uh, so eventually uh, they introduced themselves, and at that point I was I I wasn't a communist anymore either. I was now, you know. In, typical middle-class American who wanted to just have a good life for the family and self. So I I cooperated fully, but uh, there's a dot that needs to be mentioned here, and that is the fellow who uh, was the lead agent on my case, because he convinced his superiors that I would be fully cooperative. His superiors initially wanted to put me in jail. Uh So so he, he, he won the argument and he is now a good friend
0: <clears throat> oh wow the guy that caught yeah. you
2: we played golf yes we played golf together quite a bit when uh-huh. i still lived in in the area where he lived in, which is in eastern pennsylvania uh and then the next dot was uh, my third wife who i married 12 years ago um uh, i had no courting her but i just was just a love at sight, I'm older. She, I'm 20, 20 years older than she. Is. Oh boy! And uh, we had no business, uh, you know, getting married because we're so different. She's Jamaican, uh, and we, we're the opposite with everything. But somehow we got married, and then, <laughs> and, then and we're still married, and we have a, an 11-year-old. 11, 11
0: uh-huh.
2: And then uh, uh, she has a half brother <clears throat> who grew up in Jamaica. They didn't. They never met while in Jamaica. He uh, moved with his mother to Germany. They found each other on social media. The half brother comes to the United States <clears throat> and, uh, to visit somebody. And somehow he had my wife's phone number, our phone number, he called and he told her, you know, I'm here. And she said, we're here oh, in the United States where? Oh, it's called Hudson. She said, my wife turns around and says, how far is Hudson from our house? Uh, about an hour. Oh. So so he comes visiting my house uh-huh. and then then he has this question, obviously. He knew that I was originally from Germany. He said, How did you get to the United States? And I said, Well, <clears throat> I had some help from the government. Uh huh. And he said, Well, which government? The German or the American? No, no, no. The Russian.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness.
2: <laughs> so he got really excited and you know, he took notes and we talked for a little bit. And then he said, I'm gonna take that to Germany and that's gonna be so big. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. He was a, a conductor for the German railroad. How was uh-huh. he going to make anything big? Right. You know, right. it's just like, give, give me a break. <clears throat> well, you know, he's the kind of guy who, who talks up a storm and you wind up believing nothing.
0: Right.
1: But,
2: <laughs> but, but unfortunately, unfor- <laughs> there's substance in what he's saying. Yeah, yeah he has a friend who uh, was very well connected with uh, high income people because he advised them on on this Chinese feng shui or whatever you call that. Oh. Uh, it, it has to do with, uh, placing objects in your oh, house. Oh, feng shui, too. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this, this guy, uh, was friends with, uh, one of the premier journalists in uh, in Germany and, um, she initially didn't believe the story, but she did some research. And it, when I, uh, um, uh, finally got my, uh, citizenship. I got myself a passport and I went back to Germany. And the first thing, as I get off the plane and uh, enter the arrival hall, uh, I have a camera on my face and a microphone. That's oh. the journalist asking me questions. <laughs> and then the last dot, how, how did that story get get to the United States? Yeah. She happened to know uh, Steve Croft. Oh, when I, when, I, <laughs> when I get back to the U.S., I get a phone call from a... Uh, producer from sixty minutes, and like almost fell off my chair uh-huh. so that 's how this all worked and and you know and sixty minutes made it possible for me to publish a book and uh, and i i have I've, I've had lots and lots of interviews and podcasts and all that. Uh, so, but that's, and that you found me somehow, and that's the last dot that had to be connected.
0: <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. That is crazy. So, so the because, because the FBI knew about this, like, because they had, they had apprehended you, right? And you it, it became friends with them, but then the public didn't really know about it until six. That's correct.
2: Uh, the, the, I was still, there were, uh, there was one friend in my family that knew my past outside of the FBI, nobody else. I was still for the longest time operating uh, with the documents that were, that I had obtained fraudulently yeah, and, uh, I was able to get employment as an executive, uh, at a company that owns a nuclear plant. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, uh, you know, I was still semi-legal here until the FBI was finally able to get me clean documents and then, uh, get me a green card and, uh and eventually citizenship. So yeah, I, I was still pretty much <clears throat> undercover in a, in a sense. And, uh, I, when I came out in 60 minutes, it was like an explosion. Nobody, now, what,
0: what happened? Like, what is, what is, what happened in your life?
2: What happened in my life? Oh, I got fired from my last job. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh that man. was a job with, uh, that, uh, in the energy industry where security was, uh, uh number one priority uh-huh. and 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 they were afraid of uh, having had an ex kgb agent as an employee
1: uh oh we gosh.
2: we parted uh we parted uh amicably uh so uh-huh. it wasn't a firing because it wasn't really a good reason to I hadn't lied on the application uh so uh so we we you know we came to an agreement and and that was the end of it you know i didn't want to I, I was already too old to get another job and I figured you know, take the time, write my book and do some public speaking and so forth. And it worked reasonably well until COVID hit, but you know, this is, this is right now I'm on career number six, career uh-huh. number six. Oh man. Yeah, nice well, job. yeah,
0: I'm on career. What? Four, three or four. So.
2: Congratulations. You, you have, you, you have a few years to, uh, to catch up with me. I know. I'm going to
0: have to. Okay. So. So, so you're, you're out there in the public pretty much just to s- support yourself. Yep. Um, so what, cause I don't want to keep you all day cause I know you got to get back to supporting yourself. <laughs> no, okay. So what, uh, just one or two parting comments of, of like what you learned, what we, cause I think most of my listeners are in the U S like, what do we need to know? Um, just based on your experience.
2: <clears throat> what I because your your expertise is in lying, uh, I would say there are people that will lie to you and you will never know that they do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was one of them. And then there are sociopaths. Uh, uh, there's people, based on what I hear from the FBI, uh, there's people who, who can pass a lie detector test because they believe so so strongly in their lies that there's, mm-hmm. the, that instrument doesn't show anything. That's true. Uh, just parenthetically, I was never, never trained. There was never a thought to train me to, to, to defeat a lie detector test. And the other one, is the, the number one thing I'm taking away from my crazy life, as banal it may sound, but it's the absolute truth: love conquers all. I guess. Because I kept
0: you here in the states, so you got to I figure me here it out. Kept in the
2: states, and and and. Uh, under threat of all kinds of different bad things happening to me, the FBI actually, being on my case, the KGB uh, not being happy with me, not following orders and so forth, that little girl won me over. It, you can't. No matter how you look at it, there is no other interpretation of my staying here because I had a home in Germany mm-hmm. and I had money there. Yeah. And, so yep, love conquers all.
0: Oh my goodness! Okay, so you're, uh, how can people get a hold of you?
2: Oh, my website is uh, uh, jackbarsky dot com, and you Google my name, and there's like uh, two, three, four pages worth of information. Um, an interesting thing that we just released is a podcast based on my my uh, life. It's a sort of an audio drama. It's called The Agent. It Can be found everywhere, and you just have to Google it. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and I have yet to not respond to somebody who who's reaching out in some way, unless I know for sure that's a total nutcase.
0: <laughs> me too. Oh my gosh, <laughs> me too. <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm, I'm very customer friendly and, you know, I, I just hate it when people make an effort to reach out to you and you, uh, you're silent. It's, it's, it's. it's 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 the ultimate uh, um, arrogance. I think so. It's the ultimate. Uh, you you're not worth anything to me. Mm-hmm. Now you can say eventually saying, look, unfortunately I don't have time. Blah blah blah. But please say something. You know this is when when I used to be in corporate America and I would interview for for jobs, and and nothing. I, I heard no nothing back. Oh, that is I hate impolite, that. Impolite, yeah. rude, and inappropriate. So you know make a long story short i i respond to everybody
0: got it all right well you heard it here jack thanks for coming on truth lies and cover-ups you're just you're a gem thank you
2: <laughs> thank you it was a great interview i appreciate it
0: thanks for joining me make sure you subscribe to this podcast rate and review it i'll see you next time